quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Shalom, everyone. I'm CNN senior writer and analyst Harry Enten, filling in for David Chalian. This is The Daily D.C., Americans are dealing with massive changes to their daily lives because of the coronavirus. And as we saw last week in Wisconsin, democracy is no exception. The 2020 election is still seven months away, but experts cannot be sure that the virus won't impact how Americans cast their votes. Do you think it will be safe in November for voters to physically go to vote at the polls? I hope so, Jake. I I can't guarantee it. I believe that if we have a good measured way of rolling into this steps towards normality, that we hope by the time we get to November that we'll be able to do it in a way which is the standard way. However, and I don't want to be the pessimistic person, there is always a possibility as that as we get into next fall and the beginning of early winter, that we could see a rebound. And hopefully, hopefully, what we've gone through now and the capability that we have for much, much better testing capability, much, much better surveillance capability, and the ability to respond with countermeasures, with drugs that work, that it will be an entirely different ballgame. There's just so much at stake in this election and no blueprint for how this will all work. So joining me by phone to help us understand all of this is CNN political reporter Dan Merica, who has been covering this story. Shalom, Dan. Thanks for joining me. Shalom. How's it going? Oh, you know, it is what it is. Something big happened today, right? So I want to start with that. Uh, Michelle Obama and a nonpartisan voting organization she leads are throwing their support behind legislation, expanding mail-in voting and early voting in the fall. Barack Obama tweeted about this need over this weekend. What does this say to you, Dan? That it's it's shaping up to be the biggest fight Democrats could mount ahead of the November election, aside from obviously Joe Biden's campaign. You're going to see every big name Democratic leader, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, the host of Democrats who ran for president in 2020. They're all going to come out in some form and back expanding voting rights, especially in regards to the coronavirus pandemic. You know, Democrats have been pushing for a long time. Uh, for this sort of thing. But the pandemic has kind of put pressure on those efforts to make sure that they're implemented before November in case voters are forced to choose, frankly, between their safety and whether they should actually access the right to vote. You know, Michelle Obama's voice is an important one. She's probably the most popular Democrat in the country, maybe even ahead of her husband, Barack Obama. And the the fact that she's getting behind this legislation will certainly put some momentum behind it on the Democratic side. Uh, But as I'm sure you're going to mention, you know, the Republicans have now lined up against this legislation, against the idea of expanding mail-in voting, expanding early voting. Uh, And... They have been led by President Donald Trump. 
It's almost as if you have the questions I'm going to ask right in front of you. And that's exactly what I want to say. You know, we were just talking about our last first lady and president. But what about our our current president? Trump says he doesn't like it, right? He thinks it's open to fraud. In fact, we have a slice here of audio. Let's listen to it. Mail ballots, they cheat, okay? People cheat. Mail ballots are a very dangerous thing for this country because they're cheaters. They go and collect them. They're fraudulent in many cases. All these ballots come in. These mailed ballots come in. The mail ballots are corrupt, in my opinion. And they collect them and they get people to go in and sign them. And then they they're forgeries in many cases. It's a horrible thing. That's completely baseless, by the way, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, but it's a political argument at this point. And yes, it is baseless. And the most recent attempt at uh, that sort of that that sort of um, illegality when it comes to voter fraud was actually done by a Republican in North Carolina. So so the president is making this a political issue. It's remarkable in the eyes of voting experts who have tracked uh, this issue for decades. Uh, it's not like mail-in balloting was this super hyper-partisan issue for the last 20 years. Honestly, in many states, it was seen as a, a good government reform, something that uh, you know Republicans and Democrats uh, agreed on in many states. And, and I spoke with Ron Wyden, the senator from Oregon, last week. And Oregon is a state that is completely run by uh, mail-in voting. He was one of the first ever elected officials elected in an election solely based on mail-in voting. Um, and he said the remarkable thing is that when Oregon instituted mail-in balloting, the Republicans were for it and the Democrats were against it. Now in Oregon, it's just commonplace and everyone uses it. Um, but you're seeing that kind of sweep across the nation as well. And the remarkable thing around the pandemic is that you have a lot of Ohio, a lot of Republican secretaries of state and state leaders who are implementing some form of mail-in balloting, expanding the use of absentee voting ahead of their primaries, or uh, not the general election in November, but ahead of their primaries in response to the pandemic. Some believe that could set up uh, a precedent for what they do in November. Yeah, you mentioned it. You know, I know in Maryland, obviously, the governor, Larry Hogan, you mentioned, I believe you mentioned Ohio there, the uh, secretary of state there, along with uh, Governor DeWine has obviously, yeah, yeah, Georgia. Georgia is another big example as well, where you have the Republican secretary of state sending out uh, applications for ballots to every eligible voter in the state. Now, there's some issues Democrats have with who's who's considered an eligible voter, whether the state is paying for the stamp that is that is used to send back the application. But the fact that a Republican is doing that while the Republican president is calling this form of voting basically fraud is noteworthy. I think that there are two things that, you know, you spoke about that I think are so important. You know, I've looked at this material and I've looked at, you know, which party may necessarily benefit from, you know, voting by mail. You know, it just doesn't seem to me necessarily as I look at the statistics. I know that there was a nice study that came out of North Carolina about who used vote by mail. And it was tend to be older suburban Republicans who tended to be the ones who had most used it most frequently. I don't, you know, I understand that there's this whole idea, you know, if we expand it, then maybe Democrats benefit, you know, the idea being that if every voter cast a ballot, maybe it'd be good for Democrats. But overall, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. But another thing that you sort of hinted at in there, and I think it's so important, you know, we're talking about vote by mail, but there's also no excuse absentee voting. And those are two very, very different things, right? With a vote by mail, like in Utah and Oregon, California, everyone sent a ballot. But for the no excuse absentee voting, 
that's a different thing, not altogether, but certainly there's a, a substantial difference. You want to sort of walk us through that or, you know, does it change things? There's a distinction. I mean, the reality is you're using the mail system to, to cast your ballot. And so I think that, you know, the, the lay person isn't going to really see a huge difference. But there are differences between what vote by mail is and what absentee balloting is. As you know correctly, vote by mail in states that like Oregon that only use vote by mail, you get your ballot in the mail and you have to and you and you fill it out and send it back. It's that simple. In an absentee situation, which a lot of states have absentee balloting, that is actually used by a host of people, business people who may not be in the state when they're when the election is happening, and everything to active duty military personnel use absentee voting to vote in their elections, especially when they're stationed overseas or at a, a base across the country. Um, but you're right; the difference primarily is that you have to request an absentee ballot. And you, you, you file that request and then you get the ballot sent to you. And in some states, you have to cite the reason that you're requesting that ballot. And that's where the no, not, the, the no excuse absentee ballot breakdown happens. If you have to provide an excuse, I'm going to be traveling, I, I am in college, I live in a different state now, or, or something to that effect, uh, you, that, that's your, you have to provide that excuse. A lot of states, especially Democratic states, want to move to a situation where you don't have to provide an excuse for requesting an absentee ballot. Yeah, you know, when you speak about the no excuse absentee balloting and having to request, and then there's all these, you know, battles over whether the postage will be provided for you. I think there's just a lot of nitty gritty stuff that will sort of, you know, be determined over the next few months. But obviously, look, the primaries are one thing that you were talking about. We're obviously, though, mostly focused on the general election, at least nationally speaking. And, you know, both Democrats and Republicans have been trying to ramp up absentee voting for the fall. Is there anything that they're really doing? You know, obviously last week in Wisconsin, which we can get to a little bit later on, it was kind of a little messy, but they got six or seven months to do this. What are the states necessarily doing right now? Well, you have states across the country that are realizing this election is going to be different than any election in the past. And they don't really know. They're operating in this kind of unknown where they don't know what the rules and regulations, what state the country will be in come November. So they're having to plan for a host of different possibilities. November could be an election that is somewhat similar to what we've seen in the past if if the pandemic is somewhat resolved and it is a little bit safer to have in-person voting. But instead, you're having these state parties that are having to change their organizing plans based on the possibility that people can't go to the ballot box, can't go to their polling place in November. So they're trying to get people to register for the possibility to ask for a mail-in ballot or to ask for absentee voting. And it's you're right, you correctly point out it's state by state. And that's why you have these national Democrats in the Senate. Uh, you have organizations like the one that Stacey Abrams uh, founded after her 2018 campaign, Fair Fight. They're trying to push for the Senate and the House to agree to more election funding that uh, that would make it easier for states to allow voters to get access to the ballot. So in the last funding bill that was uh, negotiated between Republicans and Democrats on the Hill, you had $400 million in money allocated for election matters. Uh, Democrats came in asking for $4 billion. You know, experts like the Brennan Center and others believe that to implement a uh, more mail-in balloting, more absentee voting would cost about $2 billion nationwide for the 2020 election. So what you're going to see, I think, coming up is instead of 
you know, obviously the state parties are going to organize in different ways and they're going to tailor that organization to what the rules are in those states. So if you are in a state where there's no excuse absentee balloting, you're probably going to see the state party push for more people to register to absentee vote because it, it it's easier in that state. In a state where they don't have that, that'll be more difficult. But what I think you're going to see nationally is you're going to see Democrats pushing for more money to make it uh, make those state parties, those state election organizations able to administer elections by mail, because right now it's very expensive. You have to invest in printing all the ballots. You need special machines to count those ballots. You have to pay for the postage. There's a whole host of expenses that come with uh, operating a an election by mail. And that what you're going to see is lawmakers, mainly Democrats in the House and Senate, are going to push for that spending in whatever the next uh, bill that is passed through the House and Senate. I think you hit something that's so important here. You know, obviously elections in this country are done state by state. In fact, you go even further down, county by county, municipality by municipality. But the federal government's involvement in this will be providing the funding, providing the funding that if we are in fact going to have record turnout, specifically record turnout by those who are submitting their ballots via the mail, that these secretaries of state's office, these boards of elections can actually handle it. And you know, this is a statistic that I brought up before. I think it's so important. 91% of the electoral votes in the 15 closest swing states from 2016 already have no excuse absentee voting or vote by mail. It's not necessarily a legislative fix on the state level as much as it is a funding issue, an issue to get voters educated on how to, in fact, order those absentee ballots, even in the no excuse states. I think there's almost there's almost like a, a nostalgia with going to the ballot box with this this idea that you walk into the ballot box and you I know I know that it's not done by lever, but people I, I, view I, it I still as remember like, doing it by lever. Yeah, where people imagine walking in and pulling the lever for whatever candidate they want, the person maybe that they really believe in. That is, there's a nostalgia for that. I think a lot of voters, especially older voters, still prefer to vote that way. Um, so I, I, and you're right, it's a re-education campaign. If, if the states uh, adopt more mail-in balloting, you've seen like in Oregon and Colorado and places, it's taken years to get people comfortable with the idea of mailing in their ballots. But after those, after that period of time, you'll see, like Colorado is a really good example, voter turnout is huge compared to other states in Colorado because it is so easy to vote by mail there. It took time, but they got to that point. Now, I know that the time between now and November is months, and that seems like a long time, but this took years. So there isn't actually that much time to educate the, the nation on how to vote by mail uh, when people are so used to walking to their closest elementary school, rec center, whatever, and, and casting their ballot in a presidential election. You know, it ha- has to happen. You know, you say it's six, seven months and you're right. It's not that much time. It has to happen now, now, now. Dan, finally, before we go, you covered how uh, voting worked in Wisconsin last week. DNC chair Tom Perez called it unconscionable. It's a false choice to suggest that you either vote uh, in person or you have to put your safety at risk. That's unconscionable. That's exactly what happened in Wisconsin last week, and that should never happen again. Remind us again, Dan, what the heck happened there, and, and what does that tell us about November? 
There was so much uncertainty going into the, the Wisconsin primary that even people in Wisconsin didn't know whether there was an election or not 24 hours before the election actually took place. You had polling workers pulling out because they were so f afraid for their health. You had the National Guard having to come in and administer some of these polling sites in Milwaukee, this massive city. You had five polling sites where there used to be, I believe the number was 180, if not more than that. So it was chaos and it was stemmed from, you know, the Republican legislature didn't want to delay the election. Uh, the Democratic governor, Tony Evers, took his time to call for the election to be off. Uh, when, once he did, the state Supreme Court, as well as the U.S. Supreme Court, made orders that cut back his authority, frankly, to call off the election and halted that authority. So the election did happen last Tuesday. Um, and it was it was chaos. And I think what you saw is long hours, long lines in places where people were voting. There's an iconic photo of a woman uh, holding up a sign as she voted, basically saying this is ridiculous that, that people were voting masks on, gloves on amid, amid a pandemic. Um, and I think what it tells us about November is that if people don't plan ahead, you could see something like this come November if this pandemic continues to rage on. Now, there's plenty of scientific evidence. I'm not a scientist and I don't cover science, but you have some people who think this could come back in the fall. That's the fear of many election officials across the country that, you know, maybe it goes away briefly and, and comes back around the election time. That, that would be uh, hugely significant to the election. And that's why so many election officials want to plan ahead for every possible outcome in November and every possible situation that people could be voting under. And actually, the, the Democratic Party chair there in Wisconsin, Ben Wickler, said, you know, what Wisconsin taught us is that if we don't plan ahead, we could have 50 Wisconsins in November. I think that's a pretty telling quote. Obviously, he is a partisan. He thought what happened in Wisconsin was a travesty because you remember it's not just the presidential primary that happened there. It was also a host of local races, including a very important state Supreme Court race. Um, but you have a lot of people after the Wisconsin primary seeing what happened there and uh, worrying that if changes aren't made, that could happen in November. And I'll just end by saying that that is a no excuse absentee voting state. So there's a lot of work to be done, even in those states that allow no excuse absentee voting come the fall. Uh, Dan, want to thank you so much for being here. You are a beautiful, beautiful person, both inside and out. <laughs> thanks. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so with the hashtag TheDailyDC. David will be back tomorrow. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.